flying sign with Joe Clady. This is Stoic Forge. I watched as Matt hobbled away with that guitar from Renee hanging from his bag and felt uh, like I did a good thing. After all the shit that happened in the Grand Canyon, he was a form of redemption, uh, helping him find his way home. Probably not the whole distance, but I was the last leg, the bookend of his uh, of his adventure, if he even saw it that way. He didn't seem to have any uh, romantic ideas about... Uh, life and the pursuit of truth or whatever um, like, like I had and was still trying to find some sort of explanation he didn't have any interest in that it seemed like I mean I, I'm not gonna uh, belittle what he was going through or what he was thinking but it just seemed like he was tired just like Forrest Gump at some point just was ready to run home <laughs> and that's just um uh, what I took from it. And I guess there's some beauty in that. There was some beauty in knowing that there doesn't have to be some epic conclusion or uh, epic and profound realization about life and, and what it all means, and um, especially when you're traveling alone. At least I was hoping for that, that moment of truth that moment of enlightenment that hadn't come yet. Um, and unlike him, I continued and, and, and prayed that it would, it would happen. Uh, so after seeing a polar opposite, uh, from, from what I was feeling hobble away from me from the van, I, I made my way out of Fresno, hopped back on the inter, or, uh, on the freeway and, and made my way up to Madera, California. And I was going to see about getting a shower. It had been about a week, uh, most of which I had spent hiking in, the Grand Can- hiking in the Grand Canyon. So I was pretty, had, had a pretty uh, thick rind <laughs> on me. Every time I would scratch my head, my nails would fill with God knows what and uh, my own scent was starting to bother me, which if your own smell is bothered, I mean, everyone has a scent. Um, sometimes it's offensive to others, but usually it's, it's just your scent. You're used to it. But if it's to a point where it offends even you, you can't imagine what it does to, to someone who is standing behind you in line. So I went to the counter at the truck stop and it was going to be $10 a shower. So, obviously, I decided to move on. But then this man and his wife, probably early 70s, um, asked me for a ride up to Merced, California. It was kind of out of the way, uh, but it was still north. So, without hesitation, I decided to say yes. Again, I was um, flowing off of the the good deed high that I had received from Matt and uh, the good experience 
of just saying, get in. And it ended up working out for me. He was my companion through the, uh, the, the cosmic, uh, <laughs> destiny that, that was Santa Clarita that, uh, Humble Pie had, uh, made his bargain for me. Uh, he was, and then he filled up my cooler <laughs> with food. It wasn't the best food, but it would, it would keep. Um, so I thought, let's see what these people have to offer. If nothing else, it's just a deposit into my karma credit. So we get to talking. Um, their names were T and Linda. T, he introduced himself as, um, has tea and, and said like the drink so tea uh, and linda never said much but um she just sat quietly in the back they were on their way from phoenix because his mom which i thought had to have been very very elderly um had uh, uh broken her hip so that's they were on their way up and i i don't know if they had they obviously had been hitchhiking in, in some fashion uh, or taking buses and probably a combination of a lot and somehow ended up at that truck stop. Uh, he used to be a radio, D, a radio DJ for a classic rock station and gave his, you know, jock jam kind of radio DJ line like, ooh, today's... Or, you know, hits of today, yesterday, and whatever. You know, just did the thing. I can't do it because I'm not a DJ. But we all know the the classic rock station, just like, hey, this is 89.7, whatever. And he laid it on thick, and we laughed and um, went through, you know, would, would say the name, you know, Janis Joplin and whatever. It just was, it was cute uh, to hear him still have these, these lines uh, memorized after all these years. He has to stop at a liquor store, and he spoke Armenian is what he said it was to Linda, and she just didn't answer. I don't know if she didn't understand, uh, or if she was annoyed, or if she was just in her own little world. Uh, but it seemed very strange and, and didn't seem like it should be coming out of his mouth not a race thing but just you know there's white people from phoenix and it just was surprised to hear him speak armenian or at least that's what he told me i had no way of verifying what he was saying um so went in got a little bottle of booze and came back out he as he was chugging this you know, $3 little bottle of uh, whiskey. He explained that he had been in jail for a while. Uh, and I began to kind of look him over a little more, had obvious jail tattoos, uh, prison tats, just up and down his arms and a couple on his neck. Which, again, when I first saw them, I you, you, you kind of put blinders up to things that don't fit what a person... Uh, should have not saying it's it's bad to have that it just they're just these little old people and looked 
like they were almost just out for a Sunday drive in the way they were dressed. And I guess I just neglected to see all the faded and, and crappy uh, prison tattoos that seemed to cover his entire body. So I was about to ask why, uh, but I didn't. And uh, that kind of faded in into uh, the back of the conversation. But uh, then he started to talk about Linda, who again was just sitting in the back on the futon quietly as he sat in the front with me. Uh, not asleep, but just didn't look awake. Uh, had the same look that <laughs> that that Marshall's little desert flower had that somehow ended up in the van with us that fateful day in Gallup, New Mexico. Just just very dead faced and, and almost sad looking. Uh, he said Linda was his best friend, and that they had known each other since the late '60s. They had ten children together, and he had three others. Uh, and I kind of threw my head back and was like, just just very surprised that they had uh, had that many children, but were on the road doing this, living living this kind of way. And uh, so we got into town, and again, the the freeway similar to the interstate it, it was it was another character um, it was another friend it was a safe space to where I knew if I stayed near I could get back on I could you know I wouldn't have to bust out the atlas to try and find my way and then it was safe I was on the road I could get away the next exit is only so far and usually an exit away, it, it's all behind you at that point. So that's what I tried to do here. The hospital seemed to be a little more in town, he said, even though we never made it there. Uh, but we got in, and we he was waiting to get a hold of one of his family members. So we, again, stayed near the exit, but there was a little park just uh, about maybe a quarter mile away. We went there, and throughout the drive and over the next half hour, he just kept saying uh, how much I reminded him of, of his oldest son. Kept calling me the bomb and a 60s throwback, uh, which the romantic part of me uh, enjoyed. It was... Uh, <laughs> It was nice to hear that in my own way, that it was. It seemed uh, authentic what I was doing and experiencing. It wasn't some uh, what, what I had uh, heard earlier, the, the term uh, a fippy, just a, a fake hippie, someone who is, you know, not, that just isn't doing it for the right reason. Not that I am, I'm just saying, like, has the is is someone who is all about the picture is all about the image and is all about constantly feeling safe and protected without jeopardizing um seeming like the real deal which i saw a lot i saw a lot of that 
um, especially farther into California. So I got my guitar out, and he asked me to play. So I started to play Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. And they both started to weep. And I could see this look on their face where they were feeling... uh, I could see the nostalgia just take take them over. And uh, again, Linda hadn't said much, but it still brought her to tears. And it it wasn't some stunning performance, let me say. But it was enough to make them feel. And between tears, T was like, man, this is this is just so great. You know, I've loved meeting you so much. Uh, uh, would you, would you want to get some heroin with us? And that's when I felt some panic. I felt, um, scared (laughs) of the situation and surprised these sweet people that I had, uh, come to meet throughout the day or come to know throughout the day, um, didn't seem like they had that in them. But again, you put your blinders on and you make assumptions about what people are and and uh, what they want to do. And I'm not saying they're bad people. They just, uh, it wasn't for me. So I told them that I was not interested, but um, thank you. And he's like, well, we'll get some and we'll, uh, you're going to San Francisco, right? It's like, yeah, that's the plan. Well, we'll send some with you and maybe you can sell it or or do it when you get up there. And with a polite nod, I, I lied and and agreed. So we went to the Jack in the Box near the exit where we had pulled off and, uh, we were waiting on the guy. Now, if you've ever had any drug there's always the guy whether it's a a professional guy that that texts you uh when they have a new product um when they come meet you uh in a in a very non-discreet way because they're concerned about their own well-being or there's this kind of guy now they finally got a hold of him after using my phone and their guy pulls up on a bicycle shirtless long hair uh, beer gut cigarette just again immediately just fits okay yeah you're definitely the guy as he pulls up and they get out their money and in an empty parking spot empty parking spot in the uh, jack in the box they lay it out dollar by dollar so it was fifty dollars for what they wanted and they were short a dollar fifty so what do I do I give them the dollar fifty just to end this horrible horrible process and of course someone from the Jack in the Box management comes out and she says I don't know what this is but you guys got to get out of here right now and I say, okay, okay. And immediately the guy speeds off. They get their shit and they get in the van. So T asked me again, p- 
politely if I would like to partake. And I stay consistent and say no. But rather than just dropping them off, I wanted them to just do it in the van. Not because I wanted to see it or experience it or or whatever. It's because I wanted them to be safe and not get in trouble. I wanted them to feel uh, like they were, you know, just just safe and taken care of uh, to where I could get them somewhere if, if they needed to go somewhere. I didn't know how this went. I'd never seen heroin, uh, let alone seen it dealt or uh, enter a person. So then Linda initiates the ritual. Again, for most drugs, or really for anything that people develop an addiction to, uh, you start the ritual. Whether it's, uh, some people have a, a weekly TV show that becomes their ritual, and they get everything prepped, get their snacks ready, get every get situated, put the robe on, sit in the recliner, make sure you got plenty of drinks, and then turn the TV on. That's that ritual. This ritual is a little different. So Linda grabs and or reaches into the trash can, pulls out just a random monster drink can, tears it in half, uh, then picks up two discarded cigarette butts out of the gutter, tears them up, and then pulls out the heroin. And I had never seen it before, and I hadn't I didn't see it when they did the deal. But they had paid the $50 for two little eraser-sized, like pencil eraser-sized pieces of this black tar heroin. So T got out the needles. And meanwhile, Linda, in the uh, rounded bottom part of the can, begins to separate all the ingredients. Takes the, uh, takes the, takes the needle fills it with some water, puts it in there, takes the cigarette filter, tears it up, and then starts to heat it. Takes the heroin, puts it in there, and um, as it heats, it gets soft, and you're able to break it up. And she concocts this, uh, this batch in the rounded part of a monster can. So meanwhile, uh, T is telling me about how great it feels and how much he wished that I would just do it with him. I'm staying true. I'm not, have no desire. There's no bit of peer pressure in me to feel cool and shoot up for the first time with these uh, uh, growingly strange uh, old people that, again, I thought were different not like this so he's sitting there they argue over the amounts used which I just assumed it was because uh, they were arguing who got what and how much and then he handed her his uh, left hand so T is sitting in the passenger side front seat and Linda is sitting in the driver's seat she didn't drive, I just parked it and let her get up there and sit. I am sitting back on the futon. Now, I am 
not big on needles or blood or anything to do with injecting anything. So she hands him, or he (laughs) presents her with his hand. Now in the fatty part between the index finger and the thumb on the top side of his hand, she stuck him in. So without just directly injecting it, you're supposed to let it, the syringe fill with blood and then shoot it in so it mixes. I don't know the science behind it. That is just best practice. I'm in the back seat about to vomit (laughs) and I uh, tell them, hey, don't want to be a little bitch, but I got to open the door or I'm going to pass out. So I open the side doors with the sheet flapping in the wind uh, just to get some air. So she finishes him and he starts to get quiet and just keeps muttering, man, I wish you would do this with me. This feels great. This feels great. So he goes quiet and his chin dips down to his chest and he kind of slumps over. And so I asked Linda if he's all right, but she was again too busy and has yet to say a word too busy getting her uh, her own stuff ready. So I'm waiting and waiting and waiting uh, until this horrible process is finally over. And I look over at T and I see his ear from the back seat. And it had gone this very light purple color. And I feel my stomach sink And from the back seat, I grab his hair, pull his head up, and his whole face had gone purple. I look at his arms. His arms were purple. His face has looked like it was melting off his skull. And I start to panic. And I scream. I say, Linda, Linda, Linda. What's happening? What's going on? What's going on? She's not there. She's just staring at the syringe holding that monster can like I hadn't said anything. And I say, Linda, 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 just trying to get her attention. Finally, I grab her hand and I see her snap into my reality. Not her reality, because her reality was that can. Snap into my reality and assess the situation. And I say, what's going on? We got to take him to the hospital. What's happening? What's happening? She says, he's fine. He does this all the time. And I look at her and say, what the fuck is wrong with you people? And so I say, we got to go to the hospital. We got to go to the hospital. And she says, no, 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 we can't. He's just been in jail for a while. I told him his tolerance uh, was bad. So that's why they were arguing about the amounts. It wasn't who got what. It was Linda trying to take care of him saying, you can't handle this much. So we speed around. Um, I put her in the back seat. He's still sitting there. Um, Just nothing. Just a purple blob of a human being. Um, Speed to that park where we had spent most of the afternoon. And I just plead with her to let me take him to the hospital. And she says, no, no, we just can't. 
And then I look at her with tears in my eyes and I say, I'm sorry, then I have to go. And she says, please go. Starting to cry too. So I lift him out, just dead weight, old fat man with adrenaline pumping. And I lay him on the, on the, the, the grass. She's standing on the curb and I'm aggressively just throwing their stuff out uh, in a panic. And I look at her one last time and she just kind of smiling through tears, waves, and I say bye. And I get in and I drive away. My entire body was shaking and my heart was pounding on my chest and I, I didn't know what to do. I tried calling Humble Pie to know if, to just see what he had experienced uh, or what he would suggest to do. And then I call Renee. And I, she answers the phone laughing like she always does, just happy to hear me. But she can immediately hear the, the panic in my voice and the fear in my voice and I give her the entire situation in 20 seconds and I ask her what to do and all she says is well what do you think you should do and I say I think I should go back she's like well call me after so I hang up and I turn around and I head back to that park expecting to find an ambulance or uh, just tease dead body after Linda abandoned him. I, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. So I pull up. She comes running to me, sobbing, but so happy. And I say, what's happening? What's going on? And I walk up and I see him laying there snoring like a fucking bear. He had his color back. And uh, Linda just was so happy that I came back. Not because I was there to save the day or anything like that, but I was, she had felt so much guilt about, uh, about what I had seen. She knew how green I was to all this shit. She knew it right away. She wasn't an idiot. She knew this, that was obviously my first time seeing heroin. Obviously my first time seeing someone OD. And she was afraid of the long-term effects that it would have on me. So we, I sit there with her, and we just begin to talk for the first time, really. And she seemed more sane and stable, which was weird, but she seemed like an actual human being that I could talk to and not have strange Armenian outbursts or, or whatever language he was speaking. She asked if I had done crack, I said no with a smile. Then she smiled and said, don't mess with this shit. 
don't mess with any of this shit. And I told her I don't plan on it. Just as I was getting ready to leave, T sat up. He stirred slowly. And he was totally out of it. And he kept saying, and she was you know, caring for him in a uh, tough love sort of way, but still was there for him. And, but just kept saying, hey, man, just, just don't take my old lady away. And I was like, dude, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just hanging. I'm just hanging out. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. And I just want, I just wanted to make sure he was okay before I left. So after 30 minutes of this, like, hey, let's, uh, you know, let, let me take you guys somewhere. Like, no, no, you can take me, but don't take my old lady. I was like, I'm not going to take her away from you. We finally realized that he thought I was a cop and thought that I was there to take them away or take her away or, or whatever. He didn't recognize me. I don't know if it was because I was maybe a little rough with him as I laid him on the grass, if he had... What I still to this day think it was, was he, his chin had just, you know, his head had maybe cut off his airway, uh, limiting oxygen to his entire body, just wasn't able to breathe, and I don't know. I like to think me pulling his his hair to, to lift his head and opening his airway maybe saved his life. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll never know. But I sit there, and I talk, and it, it was breaking my heart to the point where I started to feel very sad and just want to leave because I was starting to feel tears in my eyes just seeing these wonderful old people that had been cursed with a life of drug abuse and uh, obvious sadness and horrific hardship. And I should have just left. But before we got off that exit, before I knew any of this shit, he said he had access to a card, a credit card, that he could fill up my gas tank in return for bringing him up here to see his mom, which I eventually came to the the realization that there was no mom. He just needed a ride. It was just part of the sob story, which was fine, whatever. Um, and he, and I, I mentioned it to him as he was slowly realizing who I was after he said, Oh, you're that kid who played the guitar today. And I was like, yes, that was me. That was like two hours ago. Um, but just as I was about to leave, I mentioned it and he said he could do it. We would just have to run an errand. So we left Linda there with a can of my ravioli. Um, and we were off to trade some drugs for some gas. He didn't know where he was going. And I started to get frustrated. I was using my phone to make calls to numbers that were disconnected. We drove in circles. As, as he just still was forgetting where he was, who I was, and what we were, what the task was. And the task was to fill my tank after dealing with this shit. We drove in circles for probably an hour, and I said, fuck it, 
and I went to drop him off with Linda. But we got there, and she wasn't there anymore. And so again, I recapped the last couple hours with him, and he just couldn't think of where she would be. And then he just kept asking the same questions dozens of times. Where's Linda? Where's Linda? Who are you? Where are we? And I, I told him, I can't, I can't help you anymore. Like, I, there's nothing I can do. I'm sorry, I don't know where she is. And we're just by that exit, waiting to get off. Or waiting, when I was getting ready to leave, and I tell him, I just, I can't do this anymore. It had beaten me into the ground, just seeing all of this. And now seeing this just old man who again was beaten by a, a horrible life but was still so concerned for his wife the love that he had for her was it was it was crippling him and and the the, the worry and the the fear of of the unknown about what could have happened to her after we left and I'm sure she could have just been on a walk. I don't know. Or she could have gotten picked up by someone that they were in bad business with. I have no idea. But neither did he. And I told him, you're alive. And that's all that I was concerned with. That's why I came back. Not that he would have remembered. And he said, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me here without her. And I told him, I can't do anything else for you. And I hugged him and I drove off. I was so relieved to get out of there. I couldn't believe what had just happened. I couldn't believe the blinders had uh, failed me. I couldn't assess what these people were. But it, again, it doesn't mean they were bad people. It doesn't mean they did anything wrong. It just meant that their their lives were different than mine. But it doesn't belittle the fact that uh, it was <laughs> it was hard to watch, and it was eye opening to many of the problems of the country that I just had never seen before. I'd never seen that kind of culture, that kind of struggle, that kind of day-to-day grind to get some money to then do that. Because it happens daily, hourly for some people. And I saw it firsthand. But I was done, and I was tired, and I was smelly. I wanted to get a room just to unwind, but I only had $30. And I had burned a lot of gas looking for this gas card from T that most likely never existed in the first place. I finally got up to this travel center up the road, went to the desk where you pay for the showers, and in a very uh, crass and... uh, upfront manner asked the attendant how much for a shower 
I'm done. I've had to deal with a lot of shit today. And I really need one. She looked at me, looked at her screen, printed up a ticket and said, don't worry about it. And I said, really? Just with a sigh. And she said, yeah, don't worry about it. But I said it in a way like, get away from my counter because I might get in trouble. Or because you smell like shit. It could have been one or the other. And I went and took a 20-minute shower. I guess that was my payment for putting up with all that shit. So, after my wonderful shower, I uh, enjoyed this trucker oasis, is what I called it. It was a big one. Uh, They had a back room filled with recliners, uh, books, sleeved books filled with DVDs that the guys would just take turns picking from and sit there and watch uh, new, old, good, shitty movies. And I just sat there with them to watch in movies like Zombieland or whatever and just finding ways to unwind. Around the corner from the, the main building was a small little shack that was labeled Chapel. And I went inside and it was empty and just sat there. It was not like other chapels that I had been to um, in the sense of uh, feeling the the prayer, the prayer-soaked walls. There wasn't that here. Maybe I was numb to it at this point, but I had felt it other places. On the way out of Hannibal, uh, almost into Oklahoma, in Carthage, Missouri, there is the Precious Moments Chapel. Now, Precious Moments is that brand of uh, cards and figurines and whatever of the little babies with the with the eyes and the with the little eyes and the big heads that look like they're constantly about to get hit by somebody but just sad little babies I don't know it's really weird but uh, I saw it on my map and I thought I'd check it out I detoured and wasted a lot of gas to get out there hoping that that would be the moment I was constantly in in search for the moment of uh, walking into a room or looking onto a landscape and feeling washed in something that completely changed my mindset, that healed me. Like, why couldn't it just be that easy? And I hoped I'd find it in a church. I went there to the chapel, the Precious Moments Chapel, and found nothing. Walked around, exited through the gift shop, and found nothing. Sat in that chapel and felt nothing. Back in Bloomington at IU, 
where I was enrolled, there was this chapel tucked within the campus, a beautiful small chapel that was tucked within one of the creeks there that, that ran through campus. It was called the Beck Chapel, or the Chapel for All Faiths. Again, very small, but very beautiful. Very quiet, very alone, very secluded, but yet tucked in the middle of young ambition that was constantly overlooked. I would often um, spend a lot of time there, either in meditation, sleep, uh, prayer, place to study, something to just pass the time. I hoped that there would be the moment where someone would kick the doors in and say the words, say the thing that would make it all make sense, that would show me the path, or that I would read something etched into a pew that would um, show some, some, some path that was otherwise hidden, or that in some remarkable way I would be blessed by grace and come into my own enlightenment with the help of God of Jesus of all the other characters of all the other faiths something but it never happened every day Probably almost every single day I would be there at some point. Waiting for it. Maybe not actively. But still hoping it would come. And it just never did. Now here I was at this truck stop church chapel box shed hoping for the same thing. And it just wouldn't come. And I, I don't know what I was expecting or what I would hope would happen. That's not, that's not a fair burden to place on the, the cosmic balance to just assume that out of thin air some sort of Enlightenment would bestow itself and and manifest in front of me like some scary apparition and blind me, turn my hair white, whatever it would be to make me feel whole and to make this all seem worth it. But I waited for it anyways. I went out to the van to watch the sun go down and get everything ready for the night. And I meet this couple, younger, uh, you know, probably early 30s, 
Their names were Jerry and Five. Jerry was the gal and Five was the guy. He pulled up in a van almost identical to mine and we connected immediately. He got out, very long hair, um, kind of punky looking um, outfit and, and voice and uh, but very friendly, both of them. She said she used to be a working yuppie until she found her trailer treasure in five. He had been on the road since he was 17, and that was his fifth van. Which I wasn't sure to, to, to take that as some sort of, to feel inspired by that, or... Like I was almost looking into uh, ble- a bleak future. But it was still interesting. Um, he immediately wanted to see my setup and see what I, was going on under the hood. Checked it out and topped me off with the best fluids that he had for the radiator that had been busted in Tulsa. And what I had been filling with water, he filled with this almost glowing neon ooze that looked like it was magic, some sort of battery super boost that would uh, get me the rest of the way. We continued to bond over our love of music, and I shared the guitar with him as he uh, squeaked out some, some quick punk power chords to some song I didn't even know. He got out this old tuner, old just just nothing special, but just a black tuner, and tuned up the guitar for me. And I said, "Man, that'd be good to have." And without even thinking about it, he takes a glance and throws it in my lap and says, "Merry Christmas." It's like, "Damn, are you sure?" Yeah, no worries, man. You need it more than I do. I don't even have a guitar. So we sat there for a couple more hours, and uh, I told him about some of the the stories from the road so far for me, and he shared some that almost mirrored mine in some way or another. We talked about how to get food, how to pick up people, how to make them work for you. He said, if you ever pick up anyone, it's not a free ride. You're the one with the van. You send them to the pumps, spanging. That's not your responsibility anymore if you have people. Granted, I didn't have anyone, but it was, again, some more road knowledge to tuck away told him I was going to San Francisco and told me some spots to where I could park the van to be safe, some underground parking lots that were pretty cheap to park overnight. Some interesting knowledge from a man who had been doing this his entire adult life, making a a literal career out of doing whatever the fuck he wanted. 
they filled up and left. And as all the truckers watched their old crappy movies, I went back to that chapel one last time before bed, hoping that, again, something would just happen. That I would feel something. And I thought of the Beck Chapel. Inscribed on a plaque on your way out. Where you can kneel to say a prayer. In modern day language. Says pilgrims. Whoever enters this church. Please say a prayer to God for those who worship here and those who preach here. And I remembered that when I first read that plaque. And I don't know if this was just some creative muse or uh, maybe that grace that I wanted. But I thought of something to at least say because after all I was spending so much time in this place why not do what it was asking me so anytime I would leave the Beck Chapel or anytime I needed to say it at all I would say tend to those who are dying especially those who wish to be dead I said that in that chapel at that truck stop and remembered Leo remembered Renee remembered T Linda Matt all of these people that I had met so far and how they were shaping the outcome. How they had pushed me away from what I had originally set out to do. I wasn't changing myself for the better. There there was no... I wasn't finding myself. I wasn't um, making amends with God... but I was starting to feel a balance. Not within myself, but to everything around me. And with San Francisco coming the next day, I knew it was just another step north. And eventually I was going to have to go home. I'm close. I need to sort this out before then. I'll see you next time.